Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 89 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Low Float Goat, and I'm joined here by my esteemed co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, the man who spent all summer gallivanting throughout Western Europe. It's a long way from gallivanting through the back alleys of Vancouver. <laughs> the man who made owning two cell phones popular. The Gorilla of House Street, JJ. How's it going? Hi. Good, brother. How are you today? I'm doing good. Doing very good. And our guest today is known worldwide as the first lady of trading psychology alongside the father of trading psychology, Mark Douglas, former floor trader. Today, as an investment trader, she coaches all levels of traders and is co-author of 15 books, including the award-winning book, The Disciplined Trader, the first written book on the subject of trading psychology. Of course, I'm talking about Paula T. Webb. Paula, how's it going? Good. Nice to be with you guys here today. Uh, Awesome. It's it's an honor to have you on, Paula. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I would like to start off the the conversation uh, on your background. And for me, for listeners who aren't familiar with you, uh, you are a former floor trader. Uh, I, I would like to hear about you know how that came about in your experience on the floor. Well, after college, I went to Chicago to visit a family member and thinking I was just going to have a vacation time. And they strongly suggested that I just start interviewing since I was out of college. So I went on a bunch of interviews with all different types of industries. And my my college education was just liberal arts because I, I didn't really want to be pigeonholed into a certain thing. And, you know, I just, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I went on a bunch of interviews, banks and corporations and uh, Oppenheimer Securities. And one of the last interviews I went on was at the Mid-America Commodity Exchange. And that was the first exchange at that time. And this was like the uh, 1980s at the time that was offering mini contracts. And I think they were founded in the 1970s, but don't quote me on that. Anyway, so uh, I didn't know anything about commodities. I only knew about stocks because my father and I had paper traded when I was younger. And so I wasn't really that interested in that job. And plus, it was the lowest salary I got offered. And so uh, I was going to take the job at Oppenheimer Securities. Um, and I went home and told my family member you know, which job I was going to take. And they said, no, you're going to work at the exchange. And I'm like, that's the least amount of money, my God. <laughs> and uh, the family member who was uh, a very astute vice president at one of the largest banks in Chicago said, look, you're single, you're young. And at any given moment, there's going to be 1,500 possible eligible men on the trading floor. So you need to be at the exchange. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is a true story, okay? Oh. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, you know, she was older than me. I figured, all right, she knows more than I do. So I took the job. But I have to say, uh, I was completely smitten with the industry. And so for the next couple of years, I worked my way up from secretary to the vice president to administrative assistant uh, running the floor operations. And along the way, I met some of the best and some of the worst floor traders ever, traders who started there 
and went over to the big boards, the the, the uh, board of trade or the CME, mm-hmm. and also traders who offset their larger positions by the mini contracts. Okay. So it really was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And after going as far as I could in the exchange, I thought, well, you know, I got to get in on this. And so I took a job as a runner and a phone clerk on the floor and learned how all that worked and how everybody interrelated with everybody much more so. And um, I just loved it. And this was way back when there were no personal computers at the time. There were no cell phones. And so to read a chart, you had to make a chart. Because <laughs> buying charts, and they actually had charting books, but they were you know, 35, 50 bucks and you yeah. bought them once a week. So they really weren't that current. So I got, I got taught how to create a tick chart from really, really good traders. And I also got to try out their trading systems, which were literally written out on legal pads. Okay, nothing, there was nothing typed up. There was no electronic uh, trading such as it is today. So <laughs> it, it kind of gave me a good foundation of really understanding how the markets evolved from the early 1900s up until that point, and then just how interrelated all the markets are based on what every trader thinks. And this was years before I met Mark. Um, so it was just, it was just really cool. I loved it. It was trading is seductive. It still is to this day. And, um, it's probably one of the best fields I can imagine being in. Um, so in 1984, a mutual friend asked me, uh, to help a friend of his type up a speech. And, uh, so one day after trading closed, we went over to Mark's office and we, I, we got inter- I got introduced to him and um, I sat down and started typing his speech and he left to go run an errand. And I'll, I admit it, I was nosy. I started looking through his files and I thought, <laughs> man, you know, this guy's got something going on here. I got to get to know him. And so he came back and I had finished typing his, his speech. And I, I admitted, I said, hey, I went through your files. I'm nosy. What are you doing with all these notes? And so then he explained his background, where he had given up a very lucrative career in commercial casualty insurance for huge corporations. Um, I think in the late 70s, he was pulling in over 300000 a year, not including all his bonuses and perks and, and uh, you know, a company car. And he gave all that up to start working at Merrill Lynch for $22,000 a year as a retail broker. So... That took a lot of guts as far as I was concerned at that point. And so he was a retail broker for a number of years. And he, like myself, you know, started watching the other brokers trying to figure out how they were assessing the market and what their perspective was. And he just started taking notes. And that's what I was reading were his notes. And he gave that up to, he didn't know what he wanted to do. I mean, he didn't know if he's going to write a book or if he's going to do workshops or whatever, but he just knew he had to work on the personal um, perspective, the mental perspective of how to become the best trader, not only for himself, but for other traders. And that was basically where I was at at the same time. And, but I had a floor trader perspective. So those two attitudes really kind of melded quite nicely together. 
And so we worked till about midnight that night or one o'clock in the morning. And then we went out for a late dinner. Uh, this was in downtown Chicago. There was places open all the time. And um, the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I quit trading as a floor trader pretty soon after that. And we just started collaborating, writing the first book, The Disciplined Trader. And that that's our journey up, up until today. <laughs> so, wow. uh, yeah, incredible. So, uh, so much. Yeah. Go ahead, JJ. That's just, it's, it's nice to, to hear about, you know, your start and things like that. I, I, I too started in the era of paper tickets and timestamps. So uh, a little bit, you know, after you, but uh, you know, I, I just started right when we were closing the floor in up in Canada in Vancouver. So, mm. but yeah, we still used paper tickets and you know the old timestamp and everything was pretty, pretty manual. You had to refresh the level two by hitting enter all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and there was a connection to trading. Exactly. I mean, there there was a physical connection, which Definitely. which translates into the the mental connection much more so than I think today, and that's why oh. our our work continues, you know, with new products and and books coming out because um, it, since it's all electronic and there really are no more floor traders per se, exactly. except for the few that we see on the uh, the new shows, um, it, it's really a lonely endeavor which I hear from so many traders. And so that, that plays into the mental aspect as well, because since you're kind of a loner and you don't have, you don't, you're not seeing other traders around you reacting, acting, it's really difficult to just stare at a screen, no matter what kind of bells and whistles you may have going off or alerts, you know, it's not, there's no, you can't see or hear somebody else's mental perspective. So you really don't know what they're thinking. And then you start second guessing yourself. And Oh yeah, definitely. And even those checks and balances, like here, you just click a button, you're in a trade, right? Uh, right. In the old days, you, you pick up the phone and call it in and the guy on the other line or the lady on the other line would go, uh, you know, you'd give them the order and they'd kind of, you know, they, cause they're in the market. They'd be like, what are you nuts? Right. You know, or are you, are you high? Why, why, why would you do that? Right. And the, at least you had that, that check and balance, right. Where now it's just, you know, click, send the orders in. Right. So it, it's, it is a lot harder that way. Cause there's, there's no, there's no uh, sort of stoplight. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Paul, it's not, it's something you said um, about you, you were learning how uh, everything was interconnecting from your time working on the floor um, and even before working on the floor, how it all came together. Uh, do, you know, when, when I first started trading and, you know, JJ uh, mentored me into this and uh, JJ is a big historian of the market um, on the, you know, the structure, how everything intercorrelates as well. And, and I, um, you know, it was a big difference for me once I started, you know, understanding, and I'm sure I don't understand to the extent that you guys do, but did you think that provides um, provided an edge for you or could still provide an edge for someone to this day? Oh, absolutely. A lot of the challenge for me is when younger traders, and when I say younger, I mean, I, I would say 20s and 30s, uh, call, call up and they're, they're really having challenges understanding how the markets work because I would say a good 80, 90% of them you know, grew up on video games mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I mean, PlayStation and all that. And so they don't, they do not have a concept 
at all of there being a live person on the other side of any trade. They still think they can beat the computer (laughs) because they think it's a computer game. It's a computer system. And so, yes, I know there's algorithms and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but all of that, even algorithms, which I, which I explained to them are created by live people. Okay. You know, I mean, even though you may put the data into a computer, the computer program was still created by a live person. So there are still perspectives that are human based. It's, it's not electronic based. It's electronic based just on the parameters that humans put into it. So I try to extrapolate that down to a little core level for them, but it's still very difficult. And even more so now because the exchanges no longer have their educational resources. So a lot of the videos and a lot of the foundational information about how the markets were founded and and how they evolved is no longer in existence. So Mm -hmm. there isn't, there isn't a resource for me to send these guys back to anymore. And, and that's really a tragedy because uh, I mean, I get it, you know, it's the way of the world and everything's electronic and moves fast and the speed of light and you can trade 24 seven and all that. But if you don't have the basic foundation of knowing how it works yeah. from one person to another person, to another person, to a hedge fund manager, to a bank, to an institutional trader, if you don't understand that there is a human mental connection, uh, and I'll be honest with you guys, you're not going to make it as a trader because you're not going to think that your mental connection is a part of trading. That, that's that's very true. And, and I mean, I moved price for 25 years, right? So my job was to sell huge amounts of stock and create markets to get liquidity and, and get the insider's position out. And so I know what, you know, when I saw Mark's videos, you know, and he was telling people how why price moves you know i was searching for a way to communicate this to people that i teach and that it finally clicked and it it was so helpful you know and people forget that it's a market right that's why it's the stock market because you buy a bunch of cheap crap and sell it at a higher price that's you know supply demand these things are kind of important absolutely right but but for for those people who have only grown up with electronic games or or videos or perspective and they're just having mm. fun on a screen whether it's their uh, phone or or a computer they already have a lack of connection to the human experience and so they're like well hey you know i i won on my online poker you know i i, I was the head guy in online hearts or, or whatever it was you know or i killed the the, the most people in the war games you know whatever so they don't they don't they're missing that that uh, mental component that they are not going to know why they're reacting or acting to anything because they don't think it's real. Mm-hmm. And the only way they find it's real is after they've lost a boatload of money. That's yep. it. True. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let, let me let me ask you this, Paula, just to because, um, you know, I, I am of that you know generation. I'm, I'm 30. So, you know, I kind of grew up more <laughs> okay. with the, the electronics um, and, and I 100% agree with, with everything you're saying. And, and like even like the, the, the question I prefaced this conversation with, well, it was a game changer for me, um, you know, having JJ, you know, uh, teach me more of this as opposed to the strategical aspect. Um, the one thing I would say is I, I do think um, and, and I, you know, I spoke to you pri- uh, 
previously before the podcast, I uh, come from a poker background. Um, you know, I did grow up with, you know, video games and stuff like that. I, I think uh, the one maybe pro case to it uh, that it does, I think, help at least like sharpen like a strategical mind, I think, uh, in certain respects. And at least I know poker did that for me. Well, well, would you would you agree with that or you think there's anything there? No, I think I think if if someone is a professional poker player, um, whether it's online or in person, uh, I mean, I'll I'll share with you. Mark was an excellent poker player, excellent. Um, I'm I'm a good player, but I'm not good at betting. So the few times that we would go to tournaments, he would do the betting, and I would play the cards. So that was always kind of fun. And but I knew that about myself. I knew the cards. I, I played my hand well, but I I didn't know um, the betting technique. And then, of course, we got together and then we just did it together. So, you know, I didn't have to learn it. But but my my point being is when I would watch him and his father was a competitive um, bridge player in Vegas. Uh, he, he played with many famous people, including Omar Sharif, the, the, who was a really? master bridge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think I, it was in, <laughs> inherent within Mark's psyche just to have the kind of mind that can discern uh how to win okay and so and and so that that kind of brings me back to your earlier question is it and and i'm not being insulting to anyone younger it's just that you can have a mindset of winning but you still have to have a human connection to that winning to sustain that winning mindset so yes i would agree if you're if you've been a professional poker player any of you out there um then you know what i'm talking about because you do have a connection not just to the cards but you you know there's other players you see what i mean whereas with trading you're just looking at a screen Mm -hmm. you don't know the other side of that screen and so it's very easy to disconnect from realizing there's another guy over there taking your money or giving you money right absolutely yeah and um you know, I remember when I, when I first started trading, um, that was one of the the aspects, I guess I didn't like at first. It was like, you know, you're playing poker. It's like, I, you know, if I'm playing live, I can see the other guy, right. He's in my face. I, mm-hmm. I can see my competition. Uh, yeah. When I'm trading at home, I'm not, it's, it's a little like impersonal. Um, and, and I, I a hundred percent get the point uh, of what you're saying. Um, yeah. That on. Um, so just a reminder to the listeners, if you guys would like to join a supportive professional community of traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. So before we, we jump into some trading psychology, Paula, uh, I want to know what, what does 2022 uh, look like for you? Do you still trade? Are you just coaching? Maybe both? Um, after Mark passed away unexpectedly uh, several years ago, um, I will just share with you that uh, uh, there was a there was just there was a regrouping that had to take place because uh, even though Mark and I wrote all the materials together and did workshops together, um, I we never videoed our joint workshops because, first of all, they were five days long and they were we were usually exhausted by the end. But um, it it was just uh, we just felt there was too much proprietary material 
in those five day workshops. So that's how, how a lot of people didn't really know I was associated with him other than his wife. And plus I don't have his last name, which, you know, is neither here nor there to me, but apparently it was to other people. So the first couple of years was a lot of rebranding to get my name out there and, you know, trying to limit the piracy, which, you know, I gave up on eventually, but, um, so those first two years I did not trade because I was not a hundred percent because, you know, I had to, I had to find my focus again as now being without my partner and the person that I bounced everything off of and vice versa. Um, so about three years ago, I got back into trading, but I found that I, I really didn't have that much of an interest in scalping anymore. And primarily just because, you know, I'm, I'm literally doing everything by myself other than my staff, of course. And I, I didn't have Mark there, you know, because we had a lot of fun scalping together. We had different, we had different ways of trading, different markets we traded, but, um, you know, it, it was just a fun thing. So I found that I, I didn't find it as enjoyable doing it by myself. So that's how I understand traders today that say, you know, I feel like I'm all alone. I'm like, hey, I got it. So now I'm, I'm more of an investor. I went back to my first love, which is stocks. And I primarily am investing in uh, startups and green stocks. And that's really, really a lot of fun to me now. So it could be a startup you know, whatever, you know, for a month or a week or six months, it doesn't really matter what my criteria is for choosing that. But um, that's my passion right now is getting in, in on the ground level of some really cool stocks uh, or whatever, you know, companies that are, that are up and coming. And so, you know, once I get back into, once I finish more book projects, um, you know, I'll have a little more free time. And I may get back into scalping, but I'm not sure. But so right now, yes, I'm I'm just trading stocks and, um, of course, you know, doing the coaching. And the coaching really isn't as much time as as most people would think. Uh, most of my time is really developing new material and, and uh, developing ways on how to get that material out in the best venues, um, you know, to, to most traders. And, and the challenge that we have with that is because as you know, there's a lot of, well, most of Mark's videos are all pirated now. And a lot of them, even though you may not know it, they have been edited. Um, and so, oh yeah. And so, um, you know, for length of time and content and, and that sort of thing. And so that was really troubling to me a couple of years ago when I found this out, because it's really damaging. It can be very damaging to traders when they're missing a component out of a workshop and, or, or whoever has posted it will say, here's the workshop, you know, here's all you need. No, that's not all you need. It's just a <laughs> workshop. Okay. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I can't fix the world. I get that. But um, so moving forward, you know, to do the podcasts that are coming out to write the books, it, it's really important for me to, just take it to the nth degree to make sure that there's no gaps in the information being presented. And, um, you know, and with any kind of podcasts, I think we're going to have some sort of disclaimer at the, at the front, like this will run X amount of moment minutes. If you find this with less minutes or more minutes, you know, it's, it's been, it's been edited or it's been changed to some degree. So, 
So that in itself has taken a lot of my mental energy to make sure that more traders don't get hurt financially by misinformation or lack of information. So does that kind of answer your question? Uh, <laughs> Probably uh, too long of an answer, but no, no, no. It yeah. Was, so it, I'm still it, trading. I'm still coaching, but yeah. primarily we're we're really working on some cool material, and um, and th- I mean it's it's the um, the path that we had planned on all along. So it's just a continuation of our material. I literally have a storage locker of written materials uh, that we just haven't formulated yet into production. Yeah. So it's it's. Uh, and then, of course, making everything um, uh, one of the main themes that we're working on now is helping traders think for themselves. And anybody who has been following us on Twitter will know what I'm talking about. But because especially, you know, with the political situations going on around the world, um, we have to understand that there is an underlying current of uncertainty, unlike we've never known before. So that's kind of the focus that we're we're moving forward on um to help traders understand that you we we taught it for decades you you know each market each moment in the market is unique and you never know what will happen yeah. but now it really is true in every aspect of life so if you don't really believe that for your trading uh, you're going to be <laughs> You're not going to be, you're going to be probably pretty much boom and busting for a while. So, um, so we're kind of taking that a little deeper. Yeah. I always, I, I love that concept. It's, it's so, so important, uh, game changing. Um, and just, you know, uh, I can relate to what you're saying too, Paul, bringing it back. You're saying you just, you kind of like, um, what's not as fun trading or or scalping, uh, without Mark. Um, and you know, JJ, that's something I appreciate. Um, about trading and like us having a community, it's uh, it's way more enjoyable mm-hmm. um, having people there, even just bouncing ideas off each other, um, rooting each other on, or if we're in the same trade, I, I just think it's it's real enjoy- enjoyable. It's like almost like a team aspect um, to it that you know I grew up playing sports and I you know I, I kind of miss that in a sense. Oh, definitely. It's yeah, uh, yeah I, that for me because I mean after running trade desks and being on desks and then you know you're sitting in a in a room by yourself so you you don't you know you don't get that flow of information you don't get the all of that so that's that's when the psychology part of it really starts coming into play and that's why i mean i was when i started retail trading i was horrible at it because i had no discipline you know i'm used to moving markets and if a trade goes bad one of my market makers will stuff it for me no problem you know and all of these things that i used to do so I had to discover discipline and then all of a sudden I was hesitating and then I found Mark on YouTube. Thank God. And then I bought the book and, um, you know, and then I just realized, Oh yeah, that's right. We're moving price and this is what I got to do. And the way he explained things just kind of, kind of snapped me out of it and got me, um, you know, back into the flow of things. Uh, and I was just so ever grateful to, uh, to have discovered him, uh, and his work. You know, um, and we're glad that you're continuing that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I love what I do. And, and you know, I, I have to tell you, when, when a trader gets it, I mean, even though it's usually over the phone, but I, I, can, I can sense when they get it. And mm-hmm. when that light bulb goes off, it is super cool. It yeah. is just so awesome that 
they've made the decision to step onto this journey of increased awareness to fulfill their financial goals. And, and it's, it's awesome. It really is because, you know, Mark and I did it ourselves and, and that's why we started teaching it to others because, you know, all, all the stuff that we write about everything that we learned ourselves, it works. I mean, it, it, it's the source, you know, to, to be the best trader you can be. And, um, so it's, it's pretty awesome. I, you know, so, you know, that's why this will go on and on and on yeah. <laughs> until yeah. whenever. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and for myself too, I just think it's like, uh, endlessly fascinating to just the, you know, the realm of our mind and psychology. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll dive into that in a second. Before we jump into that, Paul, I want to ask you, um, you know, you're just bringing up, um, uncertainty, um, in the markets. I mean, there's always been right. Um, but I'm also just curious to, you know, um, what you think of, you know, you've been in markets for a while, just the, the changing dynamics, um, of markets, you know, and maybe, um, with retail trading becoming, you know, very popular, especially recently. I know, I know it did in like the late nineties. Um, but even now, and like, you know, you got meme trading, et cetera. Just, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, no. <laughs> no, I I, <laughs> I, I, I have to be honest with you. I get uh, asked this quite frequently. And the, the, the challenge is, is that um, if I make a comment on anything, a lot of people, not saying yourself, but other people listening would take it as a recommendation to some sort of trading over another, mm-hmm. trading one market over another versus another. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I just kind of steer clear of whatever, uh, you know, because um, I'm not here to express an opinion about the markets per se. I'm, I'm here to help traders become the best traders they can be. And trading is trading is trading. And if you have an opinion about the retail trading versus the, the cryptos versus, you know, the gold or the oil or whatever, or someone expresses an opinion about that, then that may go into another trader's perspective set or their set of beliefs in a way that could be not positive for them. Sure. So I really try to steer clear of anything other than just the mental aspect of viewing trading as a business and as a, a, a venue where you can make more money than you've ever made if you have the right perspective. And it doesn't matter what market or what's going on in the markets at any given moment. All that matters is what you see to create or to achieve your goals. Excellent. I love it. Makes sense. That makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah. Respect, respect. Yeah. Respectable answer for sure. That's, that's great. And I love the business part of it. I I preach that all the time. And I, I watched one of your interviews where you said, you know, you have a business plan as a trader and most people are like, huh, what, what do you mean? It's like, you, know, you are a small business operator. Your money is your inventory, you know, um, you know, and you have to, that's your capital. That's, and then you said, you know, I remember you saying, you know, uh, you have your capital that you trade with and then the money that you pay yourself, you know, um, with, and, uh, just really, really important concepts that, uh, I really was, it was nice to hear somebody else say it. All right, let's jump into some trading psychology topics. Um, 
Paul, this 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 first question I got here, um, and I got I got to give her a shout out. Shout out to Martha. Um, she gave me a couple of questions she wanted me to ask you. Um, here's the first one. She says she wanted to know what your and Mark's uh, bad habits were when you first started trading. Well, I don't I don't know uh, if Mark had any bad habits or anything because you know we we didn't meet until I mean he had been trading. I I think he started trading. Well, he he was trading through his broker before he started with Merrill Lynch. Um, so I don't know as he, I, I just don't know anything about him. And for me, considering, um, you know, I, I left the exchange to start working on the trading floor. I don't know as I really had any bad habits because I was just a sponge and just, just watching all the other traders. And, and if, um, you know, and if I didn't do something right, like if I didn't do my chart right, or I started getting an opinion about the market. You know, I was only in my 20s, you know, let's get real. I mean, everybody has an opinion when you're in your 20s because you already know everything. But um, I had the luxury of of those traders setting me straight immediately. So so I think, you know, my perspective of working with all these traders who kind of took me under their wing, as I said earlier, it, it really was a luxury. And, and I am truly blessed to have had that type of education from these guys. Like I said, I saw the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Um, and then with Mark, you know, he saw the best of the best and the worst of the worst brokers. And so I think, I mean, like I said, I can't speak for him. I'm sure maybe I had some bad. Ha- well, I know I, I did. I have a bad habit. I'll give you a good, I'll give you a good example of this. And I've used it before, but um, you know, I was on the trading floor and there, and there's usually a core group of you that would hang out together. And one of our, one of our buddies lost like $25,000 and saw on a Friday and he had a wife and a mortgage and kids and all that kind of stuff. He was older. And um, at the end of the trading day, he said, all right, you know, we'll, we'll meet at, at the broker's Inn, which was the bar in the, in the lobby of the board of trade building. And so, you know, he walks out to settle up uh, his trades at the end of the day. And I went to one of my other friends and said, what, how can, how, how can he just go to the bar? He just lost $25,000. Now, you know, we're talking 1980. So that was a mm-hmm. lot of money back then. And especially to me, who was in my twenties, I'm thinking, geez, oh, Pete, you know? And so they said, no, 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 don't worry about it. You know, because they're all guys. Okay. I, 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 there were no other girls in my core group of trading buddies. All right. And, and there were very few women back then anyway. And so anyway, we get over to the bar and, uh, I think his name was Jeff. Uh, he's like, okay, drinks are on the house, you know, and he's got an open tab with his American Express card. And I'm just sitting there stunned. And I'm thinking, oh, what the hell's the matter with this guy? You know, I mean, literally, I, I, I was so upset. And so I just ordered a Coke. All right. So he's <laughs> he's laughing. He's having a good time. And everybody's having, you know, like Louis the 14th cognac and you know <laughs> bottles of Dom Perignon and which was the popular champagne back then and you know the, the high end uh, whatever you know the, the top shelf liquors and I'm I'm just sipping my coke just watching this all finally Jeff comes over and he's just having a good old time and he's like hey he's a, where's your champagne where what, what's the matter you know and they're all smoking cigars and and I said I gotta say what is wrong with you you lost twenty five thousand dollars we all know you lost that money how can you be down here doing this? And the smile left his face and he looked at me and he said, if, if you think losing one day 
is something that I should be depressed about, then you don't deserve to be a traitor. He said, you better go home and think about what it means to be a traitor. And I just looked at him and I said, okay. And I got up and I left and I did think about it all weekend. And, you know, and I, back then I was just keeping, you know, copious notes like Mark, just writing down, what does it mean to be a traitor? What is my definition of being a traitor? What does it mean to lose? Would I feel like a loser if I lost 25,000? Yeah, I would. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, back then. So the following Monday, you know, I came in and I, I was actually kind of embarrassed because I wasn't quite sure what he was getting at. And so we went out for coffee and he, he said, did you think about what I told you to think about? And I said, yes. And I told him what I had been writing down. And, and he said, so what did you come up with? I said, I still don't, I don't see how you can lose that kind of money and then act like it doesn't matter. And he said, because it doesn't matter because I know I'll make more the next trading day. And I said, oh, okay. So, so that, that's when the light bulb went off initially because there was never any doubt in his mind that he wasn't going to make money, not make it back, but make money in the market. So that, that $25,000 glitch, um, to use current terminology, um, it, it meant nothing to him. And so, so that, I think that was my bad habit of, was um, initially worrying about losing. I mean, you know, because hey, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of money back then. So, you know, every penny counted, but, but it was a good lesson for me to start understanding the the dynamics of a winning mindset. So, really? so that I would say that would, was probably my, my first bad habit. Would you say, but it really wasn't a, a bad habit because it had a, a positive outcome. Right. Well, yeah, I like that. Uh, would you say, Paula, with um, the, the people you've worked with, um, I mean, because no, nobody likes to lose, right? And, and, you know, I like to think like our, our brains aren't necessarily like wired to like, you know, like you lose equals bad outcome, right? But I mean, as we know in trading, that's not always the case. Uh, do a lot of people, especially like the newcomers, that's like a typical struggle, I would imagine, right? At first? Well, yeah, because uh, most most traders today think that if they do everything right, they really can, quote, avoid losing trades. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. Or if it, if it does happen, it's going to be minimal. So they haven't, because they haven't really understood the concept of what it, how the markets work. And how you can do everything perfectly, but still have a losing trade or a set of losing trades, just based on the human experience, the other trader on the other side of your trades perspective. It could be completely different than yours, and that's going to set the market in motion in ways that you did not anticipate. So that this gets back to the younger traders who who think it's a computer game. And so when you take out that human element of, okay, another trader at any moment, at any second that I'm trading could make the market move in a different direction. When you remove that element, then they don't understand why I did everything right. And I still lost. Do you see? Yeah. Yeah. And this, this was, um, uh, you know, this was something that was exemplified for me in poker, right? Paula is that I, um, I can make the right play, get my, all my money in as an 80% favorite, um, and still lose, right? There's because there's still a 20% chance I'm going to lose. Um, but is that the wrong move? No, of course not. Um, and so I think like at least that helped me 
coming into trading, right? Like I could understand that concept. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, JJ too, like, you know, something she was saying that, that, that uh, reminded me, right? Uh, something you taught me is like, you know, and you say, it's like, you know, you could have all your different technical indicators. You can make the right trade. But if like a big player wants to move the market, it don't matter. He don't care. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> like he don't care what your little technical well, indicators are saying. Well, the right. thing is that people don't realize is when when markets, especially if, if markets are a little illiquid and somebody comes in with a big size order, they're looking for liquidity and they are going to chew through you like a Mack truck going about 100 miles an hour down the highway. And they will get to where that bid is where they can get out of that position. Like if it's a sellout or a margin call or something's going wrong and somebody needs to move size, you know, size takes preference. You better get out of the way because it's coming, you know. And um, Right. And that doesn't change in the markets. That is a constant. Exactly. And and now it's just done by algorithms because so they can execute a lot faster. Right. You know, it's it's like a a tiptonic transmission and a Porsche can you know, uh, change gears faster than you can blink, um, you know, but the, the, the agenda is still the same. That never changes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And and to just add on to your, your, your comment about poker, um, as you said, you know, you, there's an 80% chance that you're, you know, favored to win. And so at that moment, when you go all in, you, you went all in based on the information you had in that moment. Correct. Right. Correct. Yep. Okay. So whether you win or lose doesn't matter because oh, you know that was the information you had that 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 prompted you to act in the way that you acted to try and win. And so if if traders use that same perspective with their trading, I'm I'm putting on this trade or set of trades with the information I have in this now moment, then they're not going to feel like they lost anything because. I, this is, this was the information I had. This was a set of parameters. I followed all my rules. Bam. Okay. If I win, awesome. If I, if I lose, it's just the cost of trading. Mm-hmm. That's Definitely. all. Yeah. And so, that, so thank you for bringing that up because yeah. that, that, so that goes back to your initial question about, you know, is, um you know, playing poker or, you know, gambling in a professional manner. Yeah. It, it, it can be very beneficial to traders. Oh, definitely. I mean, when I started working with Ray, he at least knew how, you know, how to like manage his money and risk management Yeah, uh, because he came from that background. Right. Right. And and the concept of a stop wasn't like, he didn't fight me on that. You know, he was like, oh, okay, I'll use a stop and that'll protect, you know, keep my account from blowing up. And, um, which I remember hearing an interview with you, you said there was some trading software that was telling people not to use stops, which is just criminal in my point, in my point of view. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, you know, you know, poker too, you know, Paul and and why I, um, you know, JJ, I have such an affinity for psychology too, because I, you need that in poker too. Like, like it's it's essentially the same, it's the same trading psychology, poker psychology. It's the same, it's the same thing. And I think poker in certain respects could be a little more unforgiving, um, in time at times, but, um, yeah, I love this topic. Uh, Paula, um, next thing I wanted to ask you, um, I believe I heard Mark say this um, in a, a seminar. It, maybe it's in the books as well. Um, but that um, traders' psychology troubles boil down to two things: lack of confidence, um, being fearful. Uh, could you maybe just uh, briefly um, expand um, on those? 
Okay, when a trader has lack of confidence, um, it usually stems from something that's happened previously. Uh, and I don't mean just a previous losing trade. Um, I, I would say that a lot of traders getting into the markets or who are in the markets, you know, not getting too deep here, but they, you know, they have normal baggage, okay, normal psychological baggage. I mean, we all have baggage. I mean, stuff has happened to all of us and how we manage the energy of those experiences translates and correlates over into how we feel about ourselves. So if there's a lack of confidence on the part of any trader, then, you know, as, as I would, you know, help him work through it, I would say, well, why, you know, why are you hesitating? Well, I don't know. That's why I'm calling you. No, no, okay, thanks. But why are you hesitating? Answer the question. And then it, it usually gets down to, um, I don't believe in my rules. Um, and so then we have to go from there. Well, why don't you believe in your rules? Well, I don't know. So, it, it kind of it kind of takes a little bit of of digging and and it could be something very simple it could just be okay well i got the rules off the internet but i don't know if they're any good it could be something as simple as that and i say okay well okay then let's you know try and find you some rules or create some rules that you're more comfortable with so um so uh, you know a lack of confidence is usually already there before they start trading and trading as we all know will just exasperate that to mm -hmm. a point that what you'll, you know, lose, lose money instead of just, you know, you know, anything else, you know, and, and when you lose money, I mean, especially based on society's values, then you are quote a loser. And that's ingrained in us uh, from, from everything all across the media everybody wants to be a rock star. Everybody's on, you know, an influencer, everybody's this or that. And so when you, you know, have a, have a set of losing trades because you don't have confidence in your ability, that's a double whammy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would agree that uh, a lack of confidence is not conducive to achieving your financial goals as a trader. Yeah. For sure. Um, how about the uh, the the fearful um, aspect? Is is that like in respects to maybe being fearful to execute or? Well, it, it, it depends. I mean, you know, there are there are common there are common uh, trading challenges that all traders have, and it's it maybe just part of the learning curve of just not knowing mm. or not having enough experience. And and same with the lack of confidence. It just may be. Um, oh, I've, I've been at this for two or five years because I hear this all the time. I've been at this. That, that is the most common <laughs> phrase. I'm like, what do you mean you've been at it? No, you, you're, you're at a movie. You know, you're at a park. <laughs> you know, you're not at trading. You know, you're either in it or you're not, period. Yeah, and, exactly. and so we have to take that back to, to the core saying you're not in it. And so that's really primarily what we get at from the beginning, whether it's in a workshop or a one-on-one -on -one consultation is they're not all in. And if you're not all in, then you're not a trader. Absolutely. Um, Paula, um, uh, I'm just curious, um, you know, when you and Mark were, you know, starting to write books, you know, do the, the seminars and stuff, um, was uh, the stuff you guys were writing just from personal experience? Were you guys doing um, 
you know, uh, reading like psychology studies, books, et cetera. Were you reading any like academic works? No, absolutely not. All of our material is strictly based on our own experiences as traders, as well as coaching other traders. When we wrote the discipline trader and trading in the zone, obviously the, 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 uh, the trading floor was still rocking and rolling. So uh, most of our material originally was geared toward floor traders as well as institutional traders. And I think Mark traveled to 12 or 15 countries teaching. I traveled to seven, you know, doing our workshops. And then we were doing workshops once a month, just about all across the U S teaching these concepts. And, and, you know, so having all those traders in our workshops and listening to their questions helped us further develop the materials to, as to what they were looking for, what they needed to, to resolve or solve what their trading challenges are. So um, Mark, I will share, and it's all coming out in his biography anyway, but um, he was probably one of the most spiritual people I have ever known. He meditated for at least two hours every day or prayed, whatever term anybody wants to subscribe to it. Um, he kept copious daily journals. I mean, every thought, if he had a question, he would write down the question and, and wait for the answers to flow. And, and this is what we teach it is still to this day. You know, if you have a question about yourself, you know, why am I losing? Why do I continue to not use stops? You know, write that question down and immediately write down the answer that comes into your brain right away, because that is your truth in the moment. And, and so, um, you know, doing that, you you go through a process of self-realization that is truly your own, but because you're not denying it and you're not editing it, it is it becomes universal truths. And that's what our books represent is universal truths for having the, the most appropriate mindset, however you interpret our materials, that works for you. Like we don't tell you how to trade. We don't tell you, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I will say you got to use stops, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, just normal <laughs> technical stuff. But, um, you know, we don't tell you, well, you should be making this amount of money in the markets and you should know that, which a lot of other coaches do, which is not really fair to the traders, because then that puts pressure on them to perform in a way that may not be appropriate for them. So, no, we did not read any other materials. We didn't subscribe to any academia Um we were just really intent on creating our, our own body of works. Awesome. And I, you know, one of my questions was going to be um, on meditation, Paula, in your thoughts as a, um, you know, obviously there's spiritual benefits. Um, you know, it's, it's something that I've seen um, not only to help increase my performance, um, you know, but also spiritual benefits. That's actually, it's really neat to hear um, Mark, uh, meditated, I think you said for like two hours. Uh, do you have anything else to say about that? How he came about that? What were his, his maybe his thoughts? Like, was he, um, was that one of like his keys he thinks like to really help his performance um, or yeah, just any thoughts around that? Oh, absolutely. Um, Mark was not raised with any real religious upbringing. Um, his, his uh, parents, well, his mother was Greek Orthodox, but I guess when they were when they were growing up, uh, the church was a couple hours away from where they lived, so it wasn't really conducive to driving to church every Sunday. Um, but but he always had a, a belief in in God. Okay, and um, before we met, he 
uh, had a, a partner, uh, Bonnie Marlowe, and um, she really, I mean, he credits her and, and I do too. And she, she and I are really good friends to this day. Uh, she began a journey of self um, exploration back in the seventies mm-hmm. and early eighties when they were, when they were uh, together and invited Mark along on the journey. And so they started going to, you know, the original quote, self-help seminars and, and stuff like that. And she developed really good materials on vision boards and uh, she became quite successful doing that. And uh, so successful that Mark had taken the job at Merrill Lynch in Chicago and she was still back in Michigan and she wanted to move to Chicago with him. Um, but, you know, at the time, like I said, he's making 20 some thousand. He couldn't afford, you know, her and her children to move to Chicago yet. And so she put into play her vision boards. And within three months, she had a job and she moved to Chicago and she she um, they moved into one of the best, uh, most expensive uh, uh, condo buildings in Chicago uh, where the mayor lived. And she was just really good at creating her reality. And so Mark credits her for putting him on his journey to self-awareness by going to those, you know, self-help seminars way back then. And one of, and in every, he said, almost every one of those self-help seminars, um, one of the, two of the things that they said is you have to keep a daily journal. You have to write longhand. doesn't matter that you know, whether you have a computer or not, you have to write it down in your own handwriting, what you want, what you want to achieve and how you're going to go about doing it. And you have to do that. And then you also have to pray or meditate or, you know, just get into your center again for at least an hour every day. And so Mark, Mark did that. Um, I, on the other hand, was raised Catholic, although, um, by the time I was 15, my father said, okay, you know, you're on your own now you can do what you want. You know, we went through all the process of, you know, getting your first communion and confirmation and all that, but now you're old enough to make your own decisions because he was a lifelong seeker. Uh, He just, he said, Hey, you know, I don't think there's one better than the other, Uh, whatever, you know, universal truths work, you know, that's what I'll use. So that's kind of the way I was raised. So we kind of worked together because I was used to praying and, you know, I have my prayers that I say every morning Mark was used to meditating and um, he made the best pot of coffee every morning before we would do that. So, um, and and I know you asked a question about bad habits, but I just had to interject here quickly is that um, a lot of traders do ask, um, you know, what do, do you and Mark do, you know, what's your, what's your routine before you start trading? <clears throat> and I have to say that most t- traders, even though they're not on the trading floor anymore, they are superstitious to some degree. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it is, it that just doesn't change. I, so, I, I am. you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Right. JJ. So, I, I mean, if, if Mark spilled the coffee in the morning, that was it. He was not going <laughs> to trade. Okay. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Now, if I get up and just, you know, my hair doesn't look good. Okay. And this is a girl thing. I know it's like, Oh God, I look like crap. I'm not trading now. And that is something that we learned because if it could be something as simple as that, but see 
the way the way our philosophy is, is that Mark would sit down and start writing why he spilled the coffee. He would ask himself, why did I spill the coffee? And when I say spill the coffee, I mean like the whole pot. Okay. Not just a couple drips off your cup, you know, like you knock the pot over, um, you know, and if my hair just really <laughs> looks like crap, <laughs> like I won't even go out of the house. Okay. So then I'm going to say, okay, why does my hair look like crap? You know, what's the deal here? So, because that's your focus. And, and even if it's, you think it's just in that moment, it's not because it took you out of your trading perspective. So as Mark's cleaning up the coffee, grumbling about it, and I'm helping him because it's everywhere. And you know how coffee grinds go everywhere. Oh, yeah. um, it's like, okay, this is, this is interesting. So now we're not in that flow. We're not in that meditative, philosophical psychology knowing that we are focused on making money. Not 100%. Now we could be 95%, but that 5% is just enough to make us lose. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It, you see what I'm saying? So, so yeah. it's, it's not, so the bad habit would be if we still went and traded. Right. When you see what not, I'm saying? When you're not optimal. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, I, I like that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the questioning, like, like you said, like Mark would even go down and like, why did I spill the coffee? Right. Like most people just yeah. kind of would even just like loss over that. Right. Yeah. It's like the, the right. questioning, the questioning <laughs> of everything. Why, you know, why did I do this? Why am I like that? Or it just, I, I, I think that's a common trait curiosity of high performance uh, people. I would imagine. I think so. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, and, 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 you know, I do the same thing. I mean, everything. Okay. And, and I'll give you another example. Mark was a competitive hockey player I and mean, he started playing when he was four. I mean, he lived in Michigan. So if you didn't play hockey, they kicked you out of the state. And I'm sure you understand this, JJ, or uh, JJ, you know, Vancouver, uh, right? And well, I grew up in Saskatchewan. And uh, oh, well, hello. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's even even worse. And and I don't know how to skate very well. So, uh, yeah. So (laughs) at least we had. That's why why I had to go to Vancouver. That's why I had to. (laughs) Thank God we had football. Thank God we had football. So, so, um, I mean, people will say it's a superstition, but see the way, you know, and I continue to live my life. If things are not flowing a hundred percent, then you have to stop and figure out why. So if Mark would be driving to one of his hockey games, if he would get more than three red lights, (laughs) he would turn around and come home because he felt this is how deeply we approach, you know, trading and and life in general. He would feel, okay, because then he'd start thinking about, okay, I normally don't get three red lights. Why am I getting three red lights? What is the universe trying to tell me? And he'd say, I guess I'm going to get hurt playing today. And he would turn around and come home. That's how seriously we live this type of philosophy. And the one time he did not listen to those red lights, he pulled a groin muscle and was out for three months at a game yeah. so it's it's yeah i remember hearing that story on on an interview you did and it, it totally i i'm completely convinced <laughs> like i i'm not that dedicated to it but where i will sort of push a distraction away but <clears throat> i do understand the focus part of it because uh when i was making markets i could like make markets in 20 different stocks simultaneously because you're controlling the order flow but when you're retail trading, it's it's all about focus. And if you can't focus 
um, right. and can't get in that zone, boy, it, you just make so many bad mistakes. Yeah, I mean, and, and there doesn't even have to be anything that happens. Um, I mean, me personally, I know I've mentioned this before on, on other uh, recordings, but um, I, I'm not a good trader on Mondays. I don't know why I just don't, but I have, I, and this is one of the things I teach, you know, traders to go back and see when they had most of their winning trades, what days of the week and what time of the day, not the amount of money, just most, you know, just the average winning trades, what days of the week do you have that? And most of my losing trades are on Mondays. So I just don't trade on Mondays. I know that about myself. I don't know why it is. I don't care because I just don't trade on Mondays. So whatever the reason is, it doesn't matter because I'm not forcing it and I'm not continuing to trade without knowing what the reason is. The point is there, there is something there about Mondays where I had most of my losing trades years ago. And so I thought, well, you know what, there must be something else I'm supposed to be doing on Mondays other than trading. And so there you go. So that's where, that's where a lot of my consulting comes in on Mondays. But um, so that, you know, it's just knowing yourself. That's all. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't have to be anything as dramatic as the red lights or spilling the coffee <laughs> or having a bad hair day or, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but those things that we just take for granted, as you said, JJ, you know, you just kind of slough it off. Yeah. You can't do that when it comes to trading. No, that's true. <clears throat> right. It's really true. The focus is so much, so important. Yeah. I really, I really, I really enjoyed that this, this conversation right here on the, on this topic, that's, I'm, I have a lot of things I'm, I'm going to take away personally from that. And, and I, and I think that, yeah, it's just it, like you said, Paul, the, the knowing of yourself, because, you know, I feel like people could take some of the things you said were maybe, um, Oh, like superstitious or, but it's just more of, um, when knowing when you're maybe out of a flow state, when you're not going to, you're going to be performing 95% as opposed to a hundred, um, yeah, that was that, that was really good, really interesting. Um, Paula, um, do people need to find an edge first before they work on their psychology, or is this something that could be worked in conjunction? Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, <clears throat> the, the the psychology of trading isn't going to happen without trading. I mean, you're not going to know what you need to know if you're not in the markets. So, yeah, I mean, defining your edge, you know, it's trial and error, you know. And just practicing over and over again and see what happens. You know, in trading in the zone, the exercise in there about doing the 20, 20 trade uh, example, um, I just want to stress that that's a typo in the book. It, it isn't supposed to say a set of 20 trades. It was supposed to be multiple sets of 20 trades. Mm -hmm. So that's why I have the page on the website uh, stating that. And, you know, the publisher being who they are, they won't make the change because God forbid they should do anything for the authors. But um, anyway, but that's another book. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but um, uh, so I just wanted to stress that it's for anybody about, you know, they may have a question about the, the, that exercise. So getting back to your question, yeah, you, it, it kind of goes hand in hand because if you're not practicing what, what you're trying to learn, then, you know, the psychological factors aren't going to come into play. Right. And, and that is a lot of those are the, that is a lot of the question that I get is about defining or redefining their edge. So, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, Paula, you know, I, I know we, we've kind of, you know, um, talked about like uh, when you first started to to now, you know, similarities and differences. 
Um, uh, but I, I wanted to ask you, is, you uh, is there any difference in like common psychological struggles that maybe traders face now in 2022, as opposed to the early days? And, you know, and I'm thinking along the lines of like, uh, maybe would information be more readily available, social media, uh, you know, things of the like. I think it's more challenging for traders today because of the internet and anyone throwing up a shingle stating they're an expert at trading, whatever facet of trading there is. And and that really has done far more damage psychologically and financially to traders in the last 10 years than any, any events, any current events. And um, a lot of what I do is clean up from that. And it's, it's, it's really, it's really kind of sad, but on the other hand, and, and I don't know, I don't know where this comes from, but um, I don't understand why anybody would pay someone, someone on the internet, not knowing anything about them. All they do is read their, their website and all the glowing fake testimonials possibly. um, And, and not, and not, you know, do their due diligence beforehand and, and see if the, the person's really who they say they are. I don't get this. I have all these guys, well, you know, he said this and he claimed that and his system's supposed to do this and blah, blah, blah. I paid him $50,000 and now he's not Jeez. returning my calls and yeah. the system is crap. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, did you get a track record? Did you get referrals? You know, uh, no. You know, yeah. okay, well, you know, that yeah. was your $50,000 learning lesson, okay? What do you want me to say? Who, who's well, going to give out that kind of money and not investigate somebody, don't right? You find, don't you find, Paula, that people will spend more time researching what kind of dishwasher or <laughs> stove they're going to buy, right, or looking at countertops than researching, you know, exactly what you said or even spending time figuring out how a market works? You know, uh, it, it's funny because, you know, I think, you know, it just people are so unfortunately um, so susceptible to marketing. And uh, right. some of these guys, I mean, they're <laughs> savage marketers, you know, they're guys who oh, yeah. they're chewing through hundreds of people every month, you know, getting them into these rooms. And I think just, it's like the, dang, it's the, the, the dangling of the carrot, right? It's like, yeah. oh, make the money and it's like they're in the Lambo and uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I guess all that's really effective, huh? Yeah. Well, and, and it goes back to the inherent underlying uh, cause, which is the traders do not want to take responsibility for losing. So, oh, well, that guy said this. He promised me that. Yeah, well, you know, you played a part in it, too. And, yeah. I, and I'm not putting anybody down who, no. you know, has been take, who's been fleeced. Don't get me wrong. But we're all adults here. And like you just said, JJ, you're going to spend hours and hours researching a new car or, you know, the the comps in your neighborhood, whether you're going to sell your house or buy a new one or whatever. And yet you're not going to even spend half an hour, you know, just trying to track down who the guy who owns the website is. Yeah. I mean, come on. I'm not saying you deserve to lose because of that, but take responsibility. You know, I mean, and so, I mean, and so you couple that with, the political pandemics and how all these people are <clears throat> allegedly taking millions out of the market. You know, it's just, it's all that on top of the most traders, the most traders <clears throat> really don't want to take responsibility for losing their own money because of their own inaction or lack of action. 
because they're not, because the bottom line is they're not treating their trading like a business. Right. 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 It would, that just, it would seem to me, it just kind of indicates, um, I don't want to say like a lack of seriousness, but you know, the problem, there probably are serious or want to, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Right. I mean, if you're going to research more about other things as opposed to your own trading, like what, what would you, what would you say to someone in that scenario, Paula? You're right. They're not taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said earlier, uh, I've been at this game. It's not a game. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, we use that word, you know, yeah. just like whatever, but it's a business. It's your business. You're an entrepreneur. And I, and a lot of the clients that I work with, I'll say, you know, go look up the definition of entrepreneur and come back to me and tell me what that means. You know, and then, well, you know, okay, but that's not who I am. I don't own a company. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to own a company to be in business. Any, any endeavor that you work at that you want to make a profit from is a business by the, the pure definition of the word. And so, so that just still goes back to, they just don't want to take responsibility if it fails because ultimately they don't believe they have it within themselves to make a go of it for whatever reasons. And I'm, and I'm not talking about startups or anything like that, or, you know, new traders, I'm talking about doctors, attorneys, you know, uh, high level, you know, uh, engineers and you know, people who are highly educated and already have a really good career. You know, they, they may have, you know, quite, quite, uh, you know, a bit saved up or, you know, they've been very successful, but now that maybe they don't want to do that anymore, they're tired of it. And they look at trading as a way to still work and provide income or to increase their income, but they still, it all boils down to, it takes a lot of mental work to clean out whatever is limiting you to make it as a trader. If you don't know what you're thinking or why, then you can't make it as a trader, but Everybody said, oh, my God, you know, now I'm going to have to go through psychotherapy and I'm going to have to, you know, whatever. And it's like, that's not what we're talking about here. All we're talking about is taking a mental inventory of your brain matter. Okay, of like, what do you think about money? What do you believe about money? What do you think you're worth? Seriously, what do you think you're worth in terms of how much you can take out of the market? How much do you want to take out of the market? Just that one question. How much do you want to take out of the market? 99% 99% of all the traders all these years can't answer that question. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, a lot, a boatload, <laughs> as much as I can, you know, no, what's your number? Okay. 10 million. Oh, get real. You know? So yeah. the point is if, if you can't even answer that one question, then give it up until you can, you know, you just, you just, you're not understanding that this is all about, self-worth thinking knowing and believing that you are worth every penny you can get out of the market and keeping it and and if if you don't know what your self-worth is what you're worth what you think you're worth or believe what you're worth and if you don't believe that that you deserve all your profit then it's not going to happen you're not going to grow your equity you know, and you can't have any conflict with money at all. And so a lot of the, the stuff that I teach is helping people come to terms with what they do think about money 
because everyone has conflicts about money when they're, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, money's the root of all evil and all that, all that other crap that that's all man-made, right? And, and I'd like to meet the man who said, you know, uh, money is the root of all evil because I can be damn sure he was a, a multimillionaire, okay? So, you know, and, 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 and especially for the ones that uh, are, you know, are faith-based, they say, well, you know, you know, rich men don't get into heaven. And there was a, a broker that I was working with a number of years ago. And he said, well, you know, this is, this is what my pastor tells me. And I said, okay. And I said, how big is your, your church? He said, well, it's like 3,000 seater. Said, well, it's a pretty decent size. I said, you know, what kind of house does your pastor live in? He goes, oh, yeah, let me tell you about this house. We helped them build it. You know, it's 11,000 square feet. It's got a four-car <laughs> garage and, you know, Olympic-sized swimming pool. And it's on 10 acres. And he's going on and on and on, right? <clears throat> So he gets all done. He goes, yeah, he's a good man. And yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I said, well, what do you think his net worth is? He's, oh, I don't know, but you know, maybe five or 10 million, something like that. I said, well, you think he's going to heaven? He goes, oh yeah, he's going to heaven. I said, well, isn't he a rich man? And he goes, well, yeah. I said, but you just said rich men don't get into heaven. And there was this long Oops. pause <laughs> and he's like, what, what do you mean? I said, what do you mean? What do I mean? What do you mean? <laughs> I said, do you think your pastor's going to heaven? But you said he's rich. So he's telling you that rich men don't get into heaven. So that means only he's a rich man, but only he gets to go to heaven. But you're a rich man, but you don't get to go. I said, and then you wonder why you can't make more money trading? Because there's a conflict with your faith. So he wasn't real happy. I will be honest with you. He wasn't real happy that I made that connection for him but um ultimately it, it did help him down the road i mean it took him a while because it, it really hurt it hurt him because here he was listening to this pastor for decades not realizing that the pastor was reinforcing a belief that you can't be rich and get into heaven even though he's physically was seeing the direct opposite of that with his wealthy pastor yeah do you see what i'm saying yeah, yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. It's interesting. Do, do you do you find that Paula like um, not not just like in that case, but to where people um, maybe like have a, like an angry reaction or like troubled by some of the things they start finding about themselves? Is that is that fairly common? Well, I, I wouldn't say that they're angry about it. I think they're more disappointed that mm -hmm. they didn't see it sooner. Sure. Okay, and so I just point them out. And say, look, you know, what's the point of being disappointed or upset that you didn't see it sooner because if you could have seen it sooner you would have that's the way it works yeah. you know or you would just weren't ready to see it or maybe somebody else told you but you didn't believe them because for whatever reason you know like husbands and wives you know like the wife will make a suggestion but till the husband hears it from one of his buddies you know it's not a real suge good suggestion right <laughs> you know it's just human nature okay so so a lot of it is just helping them not be upset you know, like, because they just didn't see it. Or or, or the other part of the spectrum is um, they'll say, well, my parents never taught me about money. And every single one of those people that are upset about that are already successful. You know, they're doctors, they're lawyers, whatever. So I just kind of point that out to them. I say, hey, where are you at today financially? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Well, okay. So your parents didn't teach you about making money or they didn't teach you 
good money habits or whatever. Apparently they did something right because look where you are right now. Now you can be angry because your parents didn't do this or your teachers didn't do that, or you were told this or that, but what, how does that serve you to help you grow your equity, to hang on to that? That mm-hmm. that's just useless negative energy that's, that's, that's taking you away from your goal. So so it isn't necessarily people get angry. They're just once once you extrapolate it out and say, look, you have money to open a trading account. I don't care if it's a $5,000 account or a $500,000 account. The point is you have that disposable income that you created. So you're already a success right now. So all the other baggage, shall we say, that's limiting you, Let's just de-energize that and get rid of it so you can become more of a success. And all that is, is just letting it go. It's a decision that every trader has to make before they put on any trade every single morning. Do I want to be right or do I want to make money? Mm. Bottom line, that's the only question you have to ask yourself before you put on any trade every single day. Do I want to be right or do I want to make money? And And only each trader knows the answer to that. And your and your results will reflect your answer. I love it, Paula. How uh, how important is it to a trader's performance um, in taking care of themselves in a holistic sense? Um, I think I think it's pretty important, and and I say pretty important because um, in a in a holistic sense, <clears throat> whether that's physical, spiritual, or mental, um, you know, I teach the three amigos, which is you know, body, mind, and spirit. And, um, so if you are, are not feeling good physically and it could just be, you know, the sniffles now that's on your brain. Okay. And you're reached for the Kleenex or you're looking for the nose spray or whatever. <clears throat> if you had a fight with your spouse that maybe, maybe it's over, but it's still in your brain. So now mentally you're like, Oh, I could have said this, or I should have said that, or why didn't she just shut the hell up, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, I'm just giving, you know, just making off the cuff remarks here, but, uh, you know, we've all been there. Okay. So, um, and, and, you know, if let's say you had too much to eat and you're, you're not feeling good because you've got a, an upset stomach. So now you're thinking about that. So if any one of those kind of combinations comes into play, or even just one of them, now you're not a hundred percent. And, and that's getting back to, you know, spilling the coffee or me having a bad hair day. I'm not a hundred percent. Mark wasn't a hundred percent. And so we would go right down and say, why is my hair not working out? What is it about myself? I don't like this morning. Why did I spill the coffee? What was the universe trying to tell me? Am I drinking too much coffee? Was I, was I being sloppy as I was making it? And that's why I spilled it, which means I would be sloppy as a trader today. You know, so this is the kind of holistic or philosophical approach that we created and which we use and I still use because it's all about your mental environment. If, if you don't feel good, it's not going to happen. That's it. I mean, I can tell you the first time I went to go buy a car after Mark passed away because Mark always bought the cars. He'd say, what color do you want? I'm like, okay, I want this color and I want a good stereo and heated seats. Okay. <laughs> That's it. excuse me and so the first time I went to go buy a car I was not a hundred percent because I had never negotiated for a car by myself I know that sounds ridiculous these days but you know 
first of all, when we were in Chicago, we never didn't even have a car because you're in the city. Like you live in New York city. You don't have a car. Mm-hmm. So when, when we uh, moved to Arizona for a couple of years on business, of course we had to get a car. So, you know, Mark went out and bought a car. I didn't care. I'm not a car person. Well, I wasn't a car person, but I am now. Okay. So, so um, I had to go negotiate. I picked out the car I wanted and, but I knew I just, I just had just this, just this flicker, just this little twinge in my stomach thinking, okay, I'm a widow and I've never done this before. And even though I you know, talked to a bunch of friends, like, what do I say? What don't I say? And all that, I hadn't done it before. So it was uncharted territory. And of course they're like, oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Great deal. Great deal. 25% interest and you know, whatever. And I'm <laughs> like, um, I don't think so. And they're like, well, I'm sorry. That's the best we can do. And I said, okay. You know, we did the test drive and I really liked the car. And um, I said, okay, well, let me think about it. And I got up to leave. And the look on their face, on the salesman's face, he was in shock. He never, it never occurred to him that I would say, let me think about it because of his beliefs about a single woman coming in to buy a car and probably his experiences. And so I went to go walk away and he goes, well, no, no, seriously. You really don't want the car? I said, "Oh no, I, lo- I love the car." I said, "But I, I just don't think that's the best deal." I said, and "That's okay." I said, "I'm not upset because if that's the best you can do, I get it. I mean, you know, you're a big car dealership. You have overhead. You got all this stuff going on." I said, "But it, it, it's just not my thing right now." So thank you. So I walked out. By the time I got home, there was three messages from the sales guy, the manager of the dealership. And I don't know, somebody else, the, the closer, I guess, you know, in the finance department. <laughs> and uh, and they were just practically begging me to come buy this car. Now, first of all, it was not a brand new car. It was a used car. It, it was two years old. I always like to buy them gently used, a year or two years old, under warranty, um, you know, because you, you already have that devaluation off, exactly. off the top. Let, let somebody know. else take the hit. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um and this was what this was. And it was a BMW. It was the first time um, I had ever bought a BMW. And um, so I thought about it and I didn't call them back that day because I, I was just laughing. And I thought, okay, I had the twinge because I was nervous, but, but he, you know, he, he had the tell was there on his face and you know what I'm talking about, Ray, you know, mm. he, he blew it just, it, it wasn't a big surprise look, but it was just his flicker in his eyes that I saw. And if I hadn't been staring right at him, I would have missed it. So it was so cool. And I thought, okay, all right. I had a flicker and then he had a flicker because we both didn't know what was going to happen. Well, he kind of thought he knew and I kind of thought I knew, but it was a super cool experience because it was awesome because anyway, I waited till the next day and I called him up. I said, I really appreciate it. I said, but you know, we, we just, we're not on the same page or the same universe in terms of numbers here. So it's okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Three days. They keep calling. They're emailing me. The numbers are going down. The numbers are going down. <laughs> Finally, I, I went over there and I said, look, guys, it's all right. Let it go. Let it go. So I said, I gave you my base. This is it. If you can't do that, I get it. And they said, we're going to do it. <laughs> I said, get out of town. I said, well, 
wait a minute, I need to take it for another test drive again. And they were like, what? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. way to torture them. So, That's and beautiful. I, I, mean, I, I mean, at that point, you know, I really didn't care if I got the car or not. I didn't need the car. I just saw it and I thought it would be fun. And, and also too, I knew I had to get, I had to get the car buying experience under my belt. Okay. It's just, I had to do it. And um, so I did have fun with it and I did love the car. It was, it was an awesome car. And so I kept it for two years and then I went back. And so now I'm a, I'm a Beamer girl. Okay. So, and now I have this great relationship. Of course that was in Arizona and now I'm out in California and I have a great relationship with my dealership in, in Irvine and um, every two years or 18 months. I mean, I just got an, a new car last November and it was like nothing. I, I saw it online. I said, Hey, that's pretty decent. Went up there. It even had more bells and whistles than I thought it had everything I wanted, everything. And it was just two years old and it was originally $70,000 and they had marked it down to like 40 and I offered them 30 and they took it you know, 4% interest uh, on the loan. And I'm like, okay, three years, four years I've grown, you know, this is awesome. So, but the point is I didn't have that flicker. I didn't have that hesitancy because it didn't matter to me. If I got the car, fabulous. If I didn't, there'll be another opportunity. And that's the same way that I approach the market. If I make profit, great. And if not, there's another opportunity. That's the way, that's the way it works. So whether it's buying a car or a house or, you know, a diamond ring or, you know, whatever the the bottom line is, if you get it great, if you, if you, if you have no hesitation and you're hundred percent confident in yourself, everything's in alignment holistically, it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Not that particular trade or that particular item or event. Mm -hmm. So you just have to be, you have to really believe that there is always opportunity. Always. Right. So sort of a uh, non-attachment, Paula, would you say? Right. You can't be attached to the outcome. Mm -hmm. Now you can, you, and, and, but you, you have to be attached to knowing yourself. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? It makes uh, complete sense. Complete sense. Uh, JJ, that's that, that's about uh, it for me. Question wise, did you have anything else uh, you want to ask her before we get going? Oh man, I think we've covered pretty much everything. It's just, you know, uh, you know, we always talk about like you know we have our trading room and we always talk about Mark Douglas and you know every time somebody starts getting you know into uh, you know the side of this that book uh, you know trading in the zone is always the first recommendation and uh, you know I. It, it's funny because I, I just identified with him so much, you know, especially like the story about the Porsche being repossessed and things like that. Uh, Cause that happened to me after nine 11. I, you know, I, I had a Porsche and couldn't pay for it anymore. And I just called him up and said, better come take it, you know? Right. And, and, you know, and after I saw him do that, I was like, you know what? I don't feel so bad about it. You know, it's, <laughs> know. You know cause it happened like to him probably 10 or 15 years earlier than, than my experience. But you know, so it just, uh, there's so many things that, um, you know, I, I'm, we're so grateful for his knowledge and your knowledge and, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's, uh, we're just so happy that, that you came and, and shared your wisdom with us or, and we'd love you to, uh, you know, come drop by and, and talk to our folks as well, whenever you have a chance. Sure. That would be, that would be super cool. And, yeah. you know, and one thing to keep in mind, 
when Mark put that in there about losing everything and filing bankruptcy, there were so many people that were just shocked. And, you know, even the publisher said, you got to take that out of the book. You know, no one's going to buy your book if they knew that you filed bankruptcy. And he's like, I don't care. Exactly. It's meaningless to me because it was all part of me becoming who I am today and who I will be tomorrow. Exactly. And, and so, you know, even, even for probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years at workshops, traders would bring that up and say, oh my God, I could never let anybody know that. It's like, Mark's like, why not? Who cares? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, you know, before 9-11, we had two Porsches and we were living in a penthouse and afterwards, you know, I was taking the bus and we were living above an Irish bar. So, (laughs) you know, you know, but then you, you battle your way back, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I think, yeah, well, I mean, thank God that stayed in the book too, because I think that's what um, makes, uh, makes him relatable. Right. Or it's even like, oh, wow. Like Mark Douglas went broke and lost his car. Like, oh, I can do it. Like I can come back. Uh, So I I think it also gives a sense of hope as well. Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know there's a bunch of goofballs on the internet that are calling him a failed trader and trying to reinterpret our materials. Really? And yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't look this stuff up. It, people love our work so much. They they send me these links and I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah. you know. So of course I went on the post and said, Are you talking about when he filed bankruptcy you know, in the nineteen eighty or nineteen seventy-nine? Yeah. The guy's like, Well, I don't know. I just heard he was a failed trader. I said, Well, you better uh, edit those comments, but um and start worrying about your own trading. But um and you know, for the most part, Mark would laugh when people would, you know, express their shock that he would talk about it. But he said, "If you're gonna if you're gonna hide something from others, you're hiding things from yourself, mm-hmm. and that's the way it works. So if you can't be honest with yourself, and I'm not saying you have to broadcast everything out, you know, publicly, but if you can't be honest with yourself and, and laugh at yourself and learn from whatever you went through at the time, then you can't accomplish your goals financially. Oh, I love it. And so that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it for us. If you'd like to join a supportive and professional community of traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. Paula, uh, tell the listeners where they can find you and uh, anything else you'd like them to know. Okay, you can go to markdouglas.com or paulatweb.com and uh, you'll find our website. Our phone number is 760-636-4290 Pacific Time Zone. And of course, we're on Twitter, underscore Mark Douglas underscore. And with that said, um, I wish you all the best in your trading. And just remember, you've got this. I love it. JJ, parting thoughts? Uh, just thank you so much for being with us. We really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back. My pleasure. Yes, you guys I, are great hosts. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much, Paula, just for um, going into detail, sharing your wisdom with us. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. So thanks a lot. And for Paula Webb, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop, so.